Right. Good morning. You guys up and awake? All right. You guys sound real pumped up. You guys up and awake? All right. Well, good morning. I am really glad to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Rick Smith, and I'm the director of digital ministries at Watermark Church. And um, if you don't know what that means, I'll be glad to tell you sometime. It's a lot of different things. But I want to tell you a little bit this morning about my life before I came to Watermark. Now, before I came to Watermark, I had a lot of really crazy jobs. One, one of those jobs, I'll tell it to you, don't beat me up afterwards, but I was the guy in the mall that took surveys from people when they came through. Hey, guys, you got a few seconds to take a survey? Not a very fun job. Um, another job that I had in college was I sold t-shirts. And so if you don't know anything about the t-shirt business, there's a lot of money in t-shirts. And so I would sell t-shirts to the sororities, the fraternities, <coughs> excuse me, and, and, and different groups and organizations. Well, one year, a, a gold mine, I lived in Houston, and a gold mine came to Houston. It was the World Series. You guys remember this? The Houston Astros, they were in the World Series. And um, I was in college, and I said, man, listen, I don't know a lot about sports. I'm not a huge sports fan, but I know enough to know this, that people at the World Series buy a lot of t-shirts. And so we have got to find a way to get a t-shirt booth at the World Series. And so I looked into, you know, what does it cost to get a permit? And and how much does it cost to get a, a booth? And you got to get a bond. I didn't even know what a bond was, but apparently you have to get one of those before you sell t-shirts at the World Series. And so so I had these, I was in college, but I had some roommates and my roommates had a lot more money than I had at the time. And so I, I went to them and I go, Hey guys, I got this incredible idea. I mean, this is like a million dollar idea. We're going to buy islands at the end of this deal. We're going to sell some t-shirts at the world series. Are you guys pumped? And they were like, all right, all right, all right. And I said, so there's some costs involved. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to split the cost up between the three of us. But then the great news is we split the profits up, okay? And so we're, gonna, we're, we're about to go big time, guys. So they, they were in. They said, we're, we're going to kind of be the venture capitalist. You take the money and do the work, and then you just give us the return on our investment. I said, man, that, that, that's a deal. And so I went out, got all the, the, the necessary permits and all the things that you need to, tilt, to sell T-shirts. And then we got to the design process, okay? I secured a spot, got all the stuff. So we got to design the best shirt. If we're going to sell shirts to the World Series, we're going to compete with Nike, Adidas, everybody. We got to have the best shirt at the World Series. And so I'm not a lawyer, and I found out you can't just put Astros on a T-shirt. That's trademarked. Okay. So that, this was the year that uh, Derek Bell and Jeff Bagwell and Sean Barry played, and they called those guys the Killer Bees. You guys remember that? They called them the Killer Bees. And so I go, hey, this is awesome. We'll put the Killer Bees on the shirt because everybody knows about the Killer Bees. Well, found out Astros, they're a really smart organization. They trademark Killer Bees. So you couldn't even use Killer Bees. But I said, hey, that, it just, that's okay. That's all right. I, we got a better idea. Man, we, are, we got a mind that God has given us. We're creative. We're going to come up with an even better shirt idea. This is going to be the shirt that everybody in the world is going to be wearing. And this is awesome. I still have one of these right here. Sting them. This is real talk, man. Sting them. So I said, this is going to be awesome. So we're going to get our friend Benny. We're going to pay him 10 bucks an hour to dress up in a bee costume and then buzz around our T-shirt booth. That's going to create some buzz. And it's going to be pumped. So we ordered like 1,000 T-shirts. I mean, we've got to have some inventory. I told my T-shirt guy, I said, hey, man, be on call because we're going to sell 1,000 probably in the first hour before the game starts. So you be ready to print some more. I know the game's in the evening. You get to work. Be ready. We're, gonna, we're going big time, baby. Well, I, I guess people got real excited on the opening day uh, of the game because no one bought any of our T-shirts on the first day. I, I guess they were excited to get to their seats. But I, but I said, hey, don't worry. Don't worry, guys. We got inventory. We're ready to roll. So the second day of the World Series, one person, we were selling them $12, two for 20 which that's an incredible deal. Um, 
We had to lower our price to $10 to sell one shirt to one person. The third night, I'm not kidding, bless his heart. And I, this is not a joke. I wish it was a joke. The person that took care of the parking lot who was homeless bought one of our shirts. I don't mean that in a mean way, but when a homeless guy gives you $12 because he feels so bad for you, your idea isn't that great. So we left the World Series with 998 Stingham shirts that I have on sale for $3 after Summit today. No, we give 990-something of these to a homeless shelter in Houston. So there's a bunch of, so there's a silver lining in this. So sting them. But you know what? Believe it or not, I, I was asking my wife for this this morning. I go, hey, do you, do you have any stories, anything that I've done that have been really dumb? I can't think of any dumb decisions that I've made in the last decade. And she, she about fell over in her chair laughing. You know, the truth of the matter is, man, I have made some really dumb decisions in my life. Some of them are funny, like this t-shirt, and some of the bad decisions that I have made have stung, no pun intended, a lot worse than losing a few bucks on some t-shirts. You know, I think when we look at our life as men, men who aspire, you're here at 6.30 in the morning, that tells me that you aspire to be a godly man, a leader, a person who's committed to the cause of Christ, and as men, you and I, every single day we are confronted with decisions and choices. And we have really two choices, two roads, two paths. We can choose the path, the Bible says, to life, which is godly wisdom, or we can choose the other option, which is our way, the world's way. And that way, the Bible says, leads to death. So every single day, we're confronted with a choice. Do we choose life? Do we choose death? Do we make a decision for godliness, or do we make a decision for worldliness or death. And so this morning, if you'll turn with me to James 3, what we're going to look at briefly this morning is, what does the Bible say about godly wisdom? How does a person like you and I who inspire to be a man that God has called us to be make a godly choice? And what we're going to see this morning is three quick things. We're going to see the mark of godly wisdom, the characteristics of godly wisdom, and we're going to see how it is that you get godly wisdom. Stay with me. So James 3 Verse 13, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? He is talking to the same group of people that he was talking to in verse 1, these men who were inspiring to become teachers. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So what we see here is that your walk, not your talk, is the mark of godly wisdom. Your walk, not your talk, is the mark of godly wisdom. You see, the teachers and the leaders that James was talking to in this passage, they were going to be marked as wise people, not by the things that they said, but by the things that they did. Uh, they, were going to, um, they were going to be marked by wisdom, not by their actions, not by their decree- degrees, but by their deeds. See, godly wisdom, the mark of godly wisdom is our walk, our conduct, the way that we live our life, not by the things that we things that we say. Uh, uh, your, your Bible here says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. A better translation of that word meekness is gentleness. See, as men, sometimes when we hear the word gentle, that a wise person, a godly person is gentle, we sometimes cringe. So we go, man, gentle is not a word that you normally associate with manhood. Gentleness is a word, sometimes we think of weakness. But the Bible knows nothing about gentleness being a sign of weakness. In fact, In this context, gentleness is not weakness, but it's strength under control of the Holy Spirit. Gentleness is not weakness, but strength under control of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you what this looks like. I want to introduce you to my friend, Matt Lepis. Matt Lepis was a friend of mine that I went to Dallas Seminary with. He played for the Denver Broncos. He's a really big guy. He has a crazy story. If you Google his name, you'll find football records and 
police records or drug records, all sorts of things for Matt. But Matt could break your neck in five seconds. Matt was paid. Matt has Super Bowl rings. Matt played with John Elway. He protected John Elway. Matt is a beast. Um, Matt came to Christ some years ago and was in class with me at Dallas Seminary. And I want to introduce you to Matt today. Matt today is gentle. Matt today, even though he could break your neck, because of the Holy Spirit in his life, he is transformed. He's no longer the Matt that he used to be. And all that strength that made him millions of dollars, now he has focused that on the gospel. Matt is strength under control, and Matt is gentle. Not because of anything that he has done, but everything that Christ has done in his life. See, gentleness is not weakness, but strength under control. And if we're going to be guys that are about godly wisdom, we're going to be strength under, under control. Um, James implies that it's not, like I said, not their degrees, but their deeds. It's not a matter of knowing truth. Godly wisdom isn't just, just that you know truth, but that you know how to apply truth to daily life. That when you walk out these doors, you know how to take what you hear here, and that affects how you live your life. It is played out in the way that you live. It's like an apple tree. A person that chooses godly wisdom is like an apple tree. You know, you go see an apple tree, an apple tree always produces apples. If you walk by an apple tree and you see lemons on the ground, you have a really weird, bizarre apple tree. And and call me, okay, because we're going to go viral with that. But an apple tree produces apples. An apple tree, the only thing that it knows how to do is produce the fruit that it was created to produce, which is apples. Never, Never lemons. As Christians, James says, hey, there's a certain fruit This should be produced in our life, something that should come about from our godly living. We're going to see this, keep looking with me, is that worldly wisdom leads to death and godly wisdom leads to life. That each of us are on these two paths. One of those paths lead to life. One of those paths lead to death. Look with me here, verse 14. It says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above. This wisdom is earthly. It's unspiritual. In fact, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every sort of vile practice. See, James says those who follow worldly wisdom, if you want to know what path you're on this morning, here's what James says. The the road to worldly wisdom is all about us. It's paved with with I. The, The road to worldly wisdom is all about us, the worldly way of living, what it does is it evaluates everything by worldly standards. It makes personal gain becoming number one, life's highest achievement. It makes getting your name on the side of the building the number one goal in life. Worldly wisdom is all about us. See, when we go down the road, when we travel down the road of worldly wisdom, in fact, James calls it demonic wisdom, we arrange life in such a way that we try to make ourselves more famous than Jesus And that's not wise. In fact, that's demonic. When we live our life for us and not him, at the very minimum, it's not wise. And at the very worst, it's demonic. And where does it take you? Where does this road of ungodly, worldly wisdom take you? There's a destination. There's a price. Sin always has a price that is to be paid. Look at this. It says, when this happens, we see it in verse 4. If you skip with me, it says, it causes quarrels and fights among you. Jump back up to 16, it says there's disorder in every vile practice. You see, disorder here is this word for turmoil, for anarchy. It it refers to worthless activity. 
I did this for the first 23 years of my life, by the way. I'm, 20, I'm 35, but the first 23 years of my life was one bad choice after the other. It was a road destined for death. You know, living, living for yourself, living to make yourself number one, living to please other people, living for the approval of people, that may seem like the right road for a little while. But it's sort of like running a race. If you've ever run a race and you run a race and there's no finish line, you just keep running and running and running. And here's the crazy sad part is that some of us might just get to where we're trying to go and realize we were in the wrong race the whole time. We were on the wrong road the whole time. See, worldly wisdom, worldly wisdom always leads to death. It never leads to good. It never leads to the place that we want to go. Sin always Sin always takes us further than we wanted to go, costs us more than we wanted to pay, and keeps us longer than we wanted to stay. See, worldly wisdom is, never gets us where we wanted to go. But here's the great thing. Here's the incredible thing about wisdom. Here's the incredible thing about God's plan is that we don't have to stay on the highway that we're on forever. The greatest thing about the gospel of Jesus is that on the highway of worldly wisdom, there's an exit at every mile marker. God always gives us a way out. It doesn't matter if you're like me and you spent 23 years of your life wasting your life away living for people and yourself. The Bible says, man, there's always a way out. There's always an opportunity on this plan to exit, to stop, to repent. The exit sign, I'm gonna give it to you, is this. It's realizing that Jesus is better than blank. Jesus is better than blank. What to you this morning do you need to realize that Jesus is better than? Because, and listen to me very clearly, until you realize that there is someone on this planet more beautiful than yourself and his name is Jesus, you will always choose your way over Jesus' way. You will always choose worldly wisdom over godly wisdom. Until you become captivated by the beauty of Jesus, your life will always be about you. And so this morning... At 6.51 this morning, what do you need today to say, man, Jesus, you're better than this? Is it making a name for myself like I wanted to do? Is it pleasing people? Is it the approval of people? Is, is it to get a room full of folks like you to like me? Is it to go out these doors this morning and to, you know, impress your boss today to be number one, to win, win, win at all costs? Well, guess what? The Bible says to lose. It's counterculture. The Bible says, man, the last will be first. If you want to gain your life, you'll lose your life. It's counterculture. See, the road to godly wisdom is understanding and being captivated by the beauty of Jesus. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's this idea of going, God, I'm traveling down this road, but at some point in my life destination, I understand that life isn't about me. There's a God, and it's not me. And I want to exchange everything that I am, all of my mess-ups, all of my pains, all of my mistakes, and I want to exchange that for the beauty of everything that Jesus is, and I want that to change everything about my life. And so this morning, if you're here, and I don't know what your marriage is like, I don't know what your work is like, if you're like me, I came from a a broken home, my father was an alcoholic, and you've been traveling down this road for a long time, today Jesus says, hey, there's an exit for you. You don't have to continue down this path of ungodly, unwise living. So let me ask you this morning, are you in awe of who Jesus is this morning? Are you captivated by the beauty of Jesus? Jesus. 
Do you understand how much Jesus loves you, the extent that he gave himself for you so that you don't have to continue to live down the path that you've always lived? This morning he's offering you a, an exit. So quickly we're going to look. The road of godly wisdom is paved with purity. James is going to say that true wisdom produces fruit. It produces these apples, and he gives us a list of what this fruit looks like. Look with me here. Verse 17, I I wish I had time to go through all of these. I hope that you will in your groups this morning. But the wisdom from above is first pure. See, purity is listed first because purity in the Old Testament is often talked about in connection to the character of God. It says that God's ways are pure. The ways of the righteous are pure. They're not crooked. They're not bent. They're pure and they're focused on God. And so purity... Purity means that our eyes are fixed on him. Purity means that we are un- unwavering. It, the reference here isn't to sexual purity. The reference here is any sinful attitude, any kind of sinful motive. It's the opposite of self-seeking. In fact, purity is listed first because all the other characteristics that are listed there come out of purity. Keep reading here, verse 18. If you continue down this road, Of godly living, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The destination of godly wisdom results in the fruit of righteousness. In other words, a changed life, a peaceful life, a true life. See, some of you know this, uh, you know, it's kind of the litmus test is, is some of you, when you come home, your kids love it. Your kids come running through the doors and they hug you. Those of you who have kids, your wife is so glad to see you. But there's some of you here this morning that your wife prays that you stay at work. Because when daddy comes home, it isn't a house of peace. When daddy comes home, it's screaming like my dad did. It's yelling, it's cursing, it's getting anger and acting out in anger. And the Bible says that a guy who's producing apples, they may stumble, they may miss the mark sometimes, but they don't live a constant life like that of anger. Mean spirit, they are gentle, they control their strength. Men, are you gentle? Do you control your strength? So here's the last thing here is how do we stay on the road of godly wisdom? It seems impossible because everything outside those doors tell us to win at all cost. You are number one. So how do you do it? How do you do it? Um, I grew up in a small town called Lake Whitney, Texas. About a thousand people. And my grandparents, um, they were really incredible. And so I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house. And I would often invite my friends over to my grandparents' house because it was a very peaceful place. And so it was before the days of the iPhone. And so what you would have to do, I know many of you remember this, is I would have to tell my friends, I go, hey, this is how you get to my grandparents' house. So what you do is you're going to go down past Bobby's Burgers. You're going to go down about four miles. You'll see Niece's Welding Shop. When you get to the welding shop, make a right. You're going to go down a little bit later. You're going to see this barn. It's red. It's starting to fall apart. Make that left. When you make the left, go down 11 houses. Not 12. If you go 12, you're going to get the guy with the old dog that will eat your life. Don't do that. 11 mailboxes. You're going to see a broke-down van. That's my grandma's house. Man, people would, I mean, that's really easy instructions, but people would get lost. People would never make it. I didn't know if they got lost in the Bermuda Triangle. They never showed up. But then here's what happened later in life. As I began to drive, I would get in my mom's car and I would tell my friends, hey man, just follow me. Just follow me. Don't worry. Just when I turn, you turn. Where I go, you go. Follow me. And so you want to know how to stay on the path of godly living. You don't want to, have, you want to know how to make godly choices. Jesus says, man, just follow me. Focus on the who, not the what. 
Focus on the who, not the what. Be so captivated with Jesus and what he has done for you that every single day you wake up and say, Jesus, it's all about you. Because nothing in me wants to be loving, gentle, kind. That's only going to be you and me, you working through me. And so you want to stay on the path to right living. You focus today on Jesus. You focus on what he has done for you. And you say, Jesus, would that transaction, that great exchange change everything about my life, would I live today making godly choices, not demonic choices? We have to be rooted in him, grounded with him. Hebrews 12, 2 says we must focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Isaiah 26 says you will keep in perfect peace all of you who fix your thoughts on him. Matthew 6 says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things will be added unto you. And then finally it says, hey, abide in me. When you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you could do nothing. So how do you abide in Jesus as I finish up? It's easy. You, you, you commit to walking with other people who know you. Let me tell you something. Secrets very rarely, almost never that I know of, bring about godliness. You know, those should be red flags in your life when you start protecting yourself, when you start putting passwords on your computer that no one else knows, when your wife walks into the room and you turn your phone over like that because you don't want her to see anything that could pop up on the screen. Secrets are never really your friend. And so you get around guys like this who love you, guys at Summit, guys in your community group that I hope that you're in, and you say, man, let me tell you where I am in life today. And you don't worry about what those people think about you. You say, I'm committed to God, and I want to abide with him. And you confess. You know, confession is one of those things that as men, we don't always, I mean, no one enjoys doing. But you say, hey, let me, can I just tell you what I'm involved in at work? Can I just tell you about this business scheme that isn't selling cheap t-shirts, but it's a lot more, and it could get me in trouble. It could land me in jail and away from my family, and I need your help. Would you walk with me through it? But you confess. You say, man, I'm I'm traveling down this road, but I don't see an exit sign, but The Bible tells me there's an exit sign. I want to get off that highway. Would you help me to exit and make a U-turn? And you tell people that you trust and you walk with them. You stay committed to God's word. You read it. You hide God's word in your heart so that you wouldn't sin against him. You pray. It's the basics. It's blocking and tackling. You do basic things well. But that is how you abide with God. And if you abide with God, if you abide with God, you walk with people, you hide his word in your heart, the Bible says, man, that's a sign that you're on the right path. That's a sign that all these characteristics flow out of to godly living. Two paths, the path that lead to death, the path that leads to life. This morning, you're on one of those two paths. And it's up to you today as you walk out to choose which one am I gonna continue on? And there's an option. You're not stuck. I wanna close with this old hymn. I'm not gonna sing it. That'd be weird. <clears throat> but, it, but it just says this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, we, man, we live in a world that says it's all about us. We choose what we want to do. We live for us. We win at all costs. And many of us in this room this morning are living out the scars of bad decisions and bad choices from our life. Some of us are in this room this morning and we're walking out these doors tempted to make decisions that would lead to destruction in our life. And so this morning we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your son that you sent him that we could have a way out. That you have not destined us to stay on this path 
of ungodliness for the rest of our life, that you've given us an escape, and that escape is in Christ Jesus, and that through him, people like me who spent their life making bad decisions can now live for godly wisdom. We can choose to put others first, to put you first. We can choose to focus on you and the cross and the beauty and wonderful grace of your son so that we can have a life that is different. So I pray for friends here today that feel stuck. I pray for friends that feel like their marriage is stuck, that their job is stuck, that their life is stuck. And I pray today, today I pray that they would know, man, that they're not stuck, that you have provided a way out, you provided an exit, and they would go, man, I want to start living godly. I want to live that life that produces a harvest of righteousness in my life. And so, Father, we, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the Son, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who changes us from the outside in. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.